So Hebrews is way at the end of the Bible, uh, and we're in Hebrews 12. As you find your way there, uh, have on your mind diamonds. Diamonds. They're the hardest natural substance on earth and very expensive. But at the elemental level, diamonds, they're just carbon. Now, carbon is one of the most common substances on earth. And when carbon is baked at 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit, some 100 miles below the earth's surface, and then met with the pressure of 4,000 grown men on it, or the equivalent of that kind of pressure, over time, carbon becomes diamonds. The rigor, the pressure, the stress on carbon is what produces this most valuable and expensive rock. Sometimes the best things in the world are often the product of enduring hard things. Sometimes the best things in the world are often the product of enduring hard things. Today, we're going to continue in our mini-series on Hebrews 12. Hebrews was written to a group of Christians that had been through the ringer. Just listen to what it was like for them when they first started following Jesus. This is Hebrews 10, 32-34. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They were ridiculed for following Jesus. Some of them had friends that were put in jail. They even had their property stolen. But the struggle for them was not just out there in the world or around them. They also had a deep struggle inside of them. Our passage begins like this. This is, this is Hebrews 12, verses 3 and 4. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. See, there was a pull sin had on their lives, tempting them away from following Jesus. And all this struggle likely left them feeling weary and tired. Perhaps they had prayed a prayer at some point in their lives, and now, after going through suffering after suffering, struggle after struggle, they may be at a point where they think, is this worth it? It would be so much easier just to throw in the towel, to walk away from Jesus, to do what they felt like doing. Now, following Jesus today isn't a walk in the park. Uh, we live in a time where the Bible's view on things are less and less popular, where every news outlet or media company isn't just trying to inform you, they want your allegiance. When access to a wide range of sins are literally at our fingertips. And in the thick, in the thick of all life has to offer, the question followers of Jesus have to answer is this. How badly do I want to get to the end of my life faithful to God? How badly do I want 
to get to the end of my life faithful to God. Now, thankfully, God gives us lots of encouragement to help us get to the end faithful to him. Last week, Brett unpacked three of these encouragements. He, he unpacked for us how God has given us other people to look at, people who've gone before us, who've done it, who've gone through hardship and have gotten to the end faithful to him. He's, uh, unpa- he unpacked for us last week the encouragement to get rid of every sin and weight that holds us back, and then also the encouragement to look to Jesus, the one who has gone before us, the author and perfecter of our faith. And today we get even more encouragement, but it's a bit unusual. So let's read the passage and see if you can pick it up. This is Hebrews 12, starting in verse 3, and we're going to go all the way through verse 17. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Our passage today is telling us that enduring faith needs God's discipline. Enduring faith needs God's discipline. If you want to make it to the end, faithful to God, you have to be trained by God's discipline. Just as carbon needs immense heat and pressure to become diamonds, followers of Jesus need the hardship of God's discipline to endure until the end. Today we're going to look at three aspects of God's discipline. The presence, pain, and plan of God's discipline. The presence, pain, and plan of God's discipline. So first, the presence of God's discipline proves his fatherly love. The presence of God's discipline proves his fatherly love. So let's just get this out of the way right at the start. 
discipline from God is a real thing. And it's good. If you are a true son or daughter of God, you will be disciplined by him. Look at verses 7 and 8. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The presence of God's discipline proves that you are a legit son or daughter. God's discipline is a way for him to show you his love. Look at the first half of verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Now before we go on and unpack what all what discipline is, we have to get this. One way God shows you that he loves you is by disciplining you. There's a clip from a movie where a mom, after disciplining her son, says this, I'm only doing this because I love you, to which the son so quickly responds by saying, Mama, don't love me so much. Now instinctively, we may agree with the son. I want love, but not the kind that brings discipline. I want the kind of love that's always affirming and never challenging, the kind of love that will champion everything that I want, regardless of what it means. But is that really love? Is it really love to always agree without challenging? Is it really love to let someone make choices that you know will eventually lead them to harm and hurt? Of course it isn't. Real love wants the best for the other person, even if it means something hard. God's, God loves us so much that he's willing to bring hard things into our lives as discipline. And those hard things themselves are an expression of his love for us. So in an unusual way, the hard stuff in our lives that, that is God's discipline should actually encourage us because it reminds us that God loves us. Which is why the writer on the heels of just saying that God disciplines the ones he loves essentially says in verses 12 and 13, Giddy up, sons and daughters. Don't be downcast. Instead, be encouraged. Let's see what it actually says. This is verse 12 and 13. Therefore, in light of knowing that God disciplines the one he loves, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Hard things are like a bellwether. It can either cause us to go further in dependence with God, trusting that in the middle of it that he loves us and cares for us, or it can cause us to be distracted or to distrust him. Hard things can often cause us to question God, if he's even good, if he's even there. And there's a lot of passages, especially in the Psalms, where, where we're shown models of being honest with God with our emotions. We can go to him with what we feel. But sometimes the hard things in our lives are God's way of getting a hold of our attention and proving to us that he loves us. And that love is exactly what we need to endure through the hard things and get to the end faithful. So first, the presence of God's discipline proves his fatherly love. Now second, the pain of God's discipline trains us for holiness. The pain of God's discipline trains us 
for holiness. Let's do another reality check. Discipline is often painful and hard. Now look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Another translation says it like this. Endure hardship as discipline. Or verse uh, 11 says it like this. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. God's discipline in our lives will usually show up as something hard and painful that we'll have to work through. It may be a hard word or statement that connects us. It could be a hard word or statement from a brother or sister sitting right around you, speaking the truth to you in love. Like the prophet Nathan who came and confronted King David after, the, after King David had committed adultery and murder, God's word and spirit often confront us as discipline when we veer off his path. Now, it may be a hard season or a trial or something else. Uh, this passage doesn't clearly define exactly what God's discipline is. In fact, the Bible is a bit ambiguous at times of exactly how it shows up. Though it may be hard to nail down exactly what it is, we can have this confidence. God knows what he's doing when he brings hard things into, into our lives as discipline, and it's for our eternal good. So our little girl, Olive, just turned two, and we are fully aware that she has been entirely affected by the fall. Now, no doubt, she's great. She smiles a lot. She's a lot of fun. She's busy. She's great. But she has figured out a way to throw temper tantrums and be stubborn and say, no, thank you, when we asked her to do something. Honestly, I, I don't know where she gets it from, but... That said, Ruthie and I are on the steep learning curve of figuring out how to discipline her. And we're guessing and checking. We're trying every little thing that any book tells us or anyone tells us that works. And our hope is that one of these things actually stick and helps her become kind of a fully functioning, flourishing adult one day. Now, God's discipline, though, is on an entirely different level. Now, let's just take a look at this. Look at verses 10 and 11. For they, now this is uh, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Maybe a lot of parents, you can feel that. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. God's discipline is always spot on and it's always for our good. And it's meant to train us to be holy now and holy later. Look at verse 11 one more time. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You may know the old saying, no pain, no gain. And this is the way God's discipline is for us. The pain of God's discipline is meant for gains and holiness later. Now, verse 14, verses 14 to 17 unpacks a few of the ways God's discipline trains us for holiness. It's not a comprehensive list, but it's representative. God's discipline trains us to be holy in our relationships with one another, and it trains us to be holy in our relationship with God. So, for example, in verse 14, it says, Strive for peace. And then again in verse 15, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. 
Discipline helps us live peaceably with one another, rooting out the bitterness that often causes fractures in community. And the pain of God's discipline trains us to be holy with God. Namely, God's discipline trains us to have the long view in mind when our immediate feelings might tend to take us in a different direction. For example, verse 16 mentions sexual purity. Any sort of sexual purity, whether it's not looking at pornography or not sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or choosing to follow God's design for gender, requires a willingness to say that God's got a good design for all of these things that's actually really good, even if it goes against what we feel like doing in the moment. Or verse 17 mentions Esau, a guy in the Old Testament who was willing to give up the promises of long-term future reward because he was hungry and wanted a meal. Esau let an impulsive immediate pull outweigh what was guaranteed but long down the road. The pain of God's fatherly discipline trains us to endure the pull that sin has on us. Sin says, do what feels good now. Hardship often helps us recalibrate to reorient our lives to what really matters. Like a brutal car accident that leaves your beloved car totaled, but your family member alive. It reminds you that the most important things in life aren't things, but it's people. God's discipline is like that. It reminds us that trusting him and life with him is far more valuable than any compelling uh, fringe sin that might seem so enticing in the moment. Hard things as God's discipline redirects our attention to his plan, his kingdom, and his promises. Now this year has been tough. Uh, We've all talked about ways that COVID has made our life hard and difficult. But even within COVID, God's doing good things. In just the last week, I've heard how COVID has simplified people's lives, how it's brought families together, how it's given people more space and time to meet with God in prayer and reading the Bible. Even a a gospel community leader just this past week mentioned how each person in their gospel community talked about how all these hard things has actually caused them to depend on God more and has deepened their faith in him. See, as followers of Jesus, we can see that even hard things in life, sometimes God's very discipline can be received as good because it trains us for holiness. We can actually be the most optimistic people in the world. Not optimistic because we have our, uh, some sort of unrealistic ex- expectation. Optimistic because we know that God is always working out things for our good, even in the hard things. See, God uses painful things to grow us which he did even with his very own son. Flip over to uh, Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. Just a couple of pages earlier. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. Look at what, this is Jesus now. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Even Jesus walked through hard times. Now, he was perfect. 
Yet he had to endure. And through those hard things, Jesus learned obedience. Now, it's not that Jesus was imperfect or that he sinned, but God used suffering in his own son's life to help him make gains in obedience. And in God's kindness, he does the same thing for you and for me. The presence of God's discipline proves his fatherly love, and the pain of God's discipline helps us grow in holiness, but it does not end there. Third, the plan of God's discipline prepares us for eternal reward. The plan of God's discipline prepares us for eternal reward. God's discipline helps us to be holy now with the end goal of keeping us holy forever. So now look at the second half of verse 10. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. There is a holiness that God wants for us now, but then look at verse 14, the second half of it. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. God's discipline grows us in a holiness now that is needed to be with God forever. His discipline now levels us up in obedience, encourages us in our struggle against sin, teaches us, sometimes through pain, that the long-term view is far better than our immediate impulsive desires. And all this helps us keep our eyes on the end reward, eternal glory with God forever. Enduring faith needs God's discipline. But don't get me wrong here. Holiness isn't some new way to earn our way to heaven by being good. No, holiness is instead the result of a life that has been so transformed by Jesus that no matter what comes your way, you want to stay faithful to God. Not too long ago, I was talking to someone who had just been diagnosed with cancer. Now, I'm not sure whether this hardship in this person's life is God's discipline or just the result of the living in a fallen world. Maybe both, who knows. But as we talked, she shared something she was praying about. My thought immediately went to, she's probably going to share that she's praying that God would heal her and deliver her through this thing. But that's not what she said. Instead, she shared that she was praying that God would use the cancer in her life for good, especially for the people around her that she would be able to endure through this cancer in a way that would help people around her, especially people who did not know Jesus, would be able to see him. In the face of uncertainty, what could make a person say something like that? It's a trust in a God that loves and cherishes her. It's a trust that even painful things can be used for good and for his ultimate purposes and his plans. And it's that, kind of trust which is, it's that kind of trust that we exactly need to understand God's discipline rightly. See, discipline is not forever. It's meant to prepare you for something. And here, God's discipline is preparing you for eternity with him. He's getting you geared up. He's keeping you on the path so you can enter into glory with him forever. This past week, I was reading an article, and this is what this person said. Your life is a vapor. You're here for two seconds. What do you want your life to be at the end when you're on your deathbed? Do you want it to be, oh, I got to satisfy all those urges and got all those things that I wanted? Or do you want to be told, well done, good and faithful servant. 
you spent your life on mission for the kingdom of God. No doubt the Christian life may be trying and wearisome, but it's going to be over in a flash. The, plan, the pain of discipline now is part of God's master plan, preparing for us eternal reward. So where does the presence, the pain, and the plan of God's discipline leave us? Well, a few points of application, four in particular. God's discipline should be a welcomed category in our lives. It should be a welcomed category in our lives. For the life of a Christian, God's discipline needs to be a functioning thing on our minds and in our experience. Now, sometimes the hard things in our life, they are God's discipline, but we can kind of fall off on, on kind of two extreme ends. Either we can, we can never see God's discipline, or we can think every single bad thing that happens to us is God's discipline, and neither of those two, th- uh, two extremes are helpful. If you never think God is disciplining you, this passage says something is off. So grow in your awareness. Ask God to help you grow in your awareness of when he might be disciplining you in your life. Now, on the other end, if you think that every single bad thing in your life is because of God's discipline, then you have to look at other passages of Scripture. Like, for example, like the entire book of Job or John 9. The hard things in Job's life didn't come about because God was disciplining him, though it was used to grow Job in holiness. And in John 9, the blind guy, he wasn't blind because he sinned and God was disciplining him, but because God had a bigger purpose in mind. Just remember, every hard thing in your life is not necessarily God's discipline, though sometimes the the hard things that we experience are a way for God to discipline us and get a hold of our attention. Any true follower of Jesus will struggle against sin and should want God's discipline. We welcome God's discipline, not because we're gluttons for pain, but because we want more than anything else in the world to be faithful to God in the end. And so if that requires some pain that comes from God's discipline, so be it. It's worth it. Like an Olympian that eagerly and joyfully orients their lives around this goal of getting a gold medal, intentionally putting their body through pain, limiting themselves from a whole host of things, just for one thing, to get a gold medal, Christians all the more joyfully reorient our lives around Jesus and gladly welcome God's discipline as training with the goal of being with him forever. God's discipline should be a welcomed category in our lives. And then number two, let hardship lead to self-examination. Let hardship lead to self-examination. How do we know if a hard thing is God's discipline? There isn't a pat answer in the Bible. The Bible in this passage helps us see that God's discipline is a real thing, but it doesn't always detail out exactly what it looks like. And so when we encounter hard things, especially hard things, we we should consider, is God trying to get a hold of my attention here? Consider, could God be disciplining me? And then verse 5 gives us some really practical advice. This is what it says. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So don't blow off hard stuff, regarding it lightly, or be devastated by it, being weary. Don't blow it off because God is at work and he has a purpose. If he's working in you, you want to extract all that he has for you. And 
Don't be devastated by it because the God that has brought this hard thing into your life loves you, is committed to you, and, be, and will be with you until the very end. Instead, let hardship lead to humble yet confident self-examination. Humble in that we're all sinners, confident in that God loves us and he'll never fail. And this kind of posture allows us to experience hard things with an open hand, eagerly looking for God to work. We can ask things like, is there something he wants me to be aware of? Sometimes it might be a sin that in the hard thing, that what, sometimes it could be a sin that was lying dormant, and all of a sudden this hard thing kind of brings it out, and we're now aware of it. Other times, God, like a kind and good father, is pointing something out in our lives. Now, after a little self-examination, no matter what, number three, go back to God. Go back to God. You might say, wow, yes, God, there it is. This is your discipline. You're opening up my eyes to see this sin or this area of my life that has been outside of your way. If that's the case, then repent. Give it to God. Ask for forgiveness and then live in the goodness of the forgiveness that God freely gives us through his son. Or, as you look at your life and you examine this hard thing, you say, I, I don't see something here. I, I don't think this is because of God's discipline. I'm not sure if this hardship is related to that. That very well could be the case. If it is, you take that hard thing and you go back to God with it. And you say, God, I don't, I don't know what this is. I don't know how to, I'm even going to get through this. But I know you do. And so trust him to help you in it and through it. And he will be faithful. And then number four, encourage one another along these lines. Encourage one another along these lines. God's fatherly discipline in our lives is certainly for our own personal holiness, but it's not just for us. It's also for the people around you. Verses 12 and 13 are aimed at God's true children helping each other as they struggle. And all of chapter 11 points out people who have gone before, who've endured a hard life for the sake of Christ and have got to the end faithful to him. Their lives of faith through hardship help us to endure as we walk through hardship in our own lives. And perhaps you know people in your own lives, maybe some who have gone right before you, that have lived the life of faith and have ended well. Now this church has been full of men and women that have gone through cancer, unexpected loss, deep grief, illness after illness, unemployment, families crumbling, crippling temptations and struggles, and yet have got to the end faithful to God. May you and I be counted in that number. Enduring faith needs God's discipline. God calls us to endure, but not just from a distance. Jesus himself felt the full force of God's punishment. Any discipline that we experience in our life pales in comparison to what Jesus experienced on the cross. As another passage in Hebrew says, because Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. But Jesus endured suffering with joy because he knew the suffering he was going through was unlocking a way for people like you and me to have a relationship with God today and forever. When things get rough, when the struggle is real, when hardship comes rolling into our lives, it's natural to get disoriented and discouraged, and it's okay to go to God with those honest feelings. 
But this passage reminds us that sometimes those hard things are actually God's discipline, which shows us that he loves us, that he's at work in us, and that he is preparing for us an eternal reward. God's discipline in your life says he loves you, that he's at work in you, and that he's preparing for you an eternity with him forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is uh, a privilege to know you, and we thank you for speaking to us. And today, this word that you discipline the ones you love, um, that is an easy thing to hear, perhaps, but it is a hard thing to endure. And so, God, we ask in your kindness to us that we would be able to receive hard things in our lives that are your discipline with grace. God, we pray that you would help us to receive it as your love, as your way of growing us in holiness and preparing for us an eternal reward. God, this is something that we cannot do on our own. And so we ask you, please help us endure until the end, faithful to you. We want to see you, Lord. We want you to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so God, we depend on you to get us there. Lord, we thank you for being our faithful God. We thank you for going before us. And we thank you for your promise never to leave us or forsake us. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we